be shorter than your foot. But that seems unlikely. In 1969, I was a student and I was visiting a friend from Cambridge who was about to get married and he and his fiancée worshipped in a church there called the Round Church. And they were getting married in that church and the Round Church was thought of, and if I'm unkind, I think that's thought of itself as a little bit of a spiritual powerhouse, perhaps a sort of HGV of its time, something like that. Anyway, we were there, up by the table, feeling very comfortable, um, Andrew and I having a little rehearsal for the wedding. And we felt very cosy and very friendly and very uh, much at home in what we thought of as the place where God might particularly be. A man came in, quite shabbily dressed, a bit scruffy, and he walked up and he just threw himself down silently on his belly and he lay there praying silently. And for a moment I thought that I'd been taking the presence of God rather for granted, rather uncomfortable at having felt so comfortable in that particular part of the building. I was a bit shocked. And this parable is shocking. This will be happy to notice at two points, certainly. One, are we right with God? Two, are we living right with God? Or, to put it another way, in verse 9, Jesus tells the parable to people who trusted that they were right with God and they treated other people with contempt. This particular Pharisee epitomizes them in the story. And the question is, which of the two men was justified, atoned for by the sacrifice which was going on day after day? So who do we trust in? And how does that affect the way that we think of ourselves and treat other people? Point two, verse 14, the end. Um, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. In NIV, it's everyone, plural. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, I don't know whether that's later on, or whether it's day by day, or quite when that would happen. But faith in God's mercy and restoration should lead to humility and real and proper expression of who we are, what we've been, what we are, how we've got there and why. So we've got the two-handed lawyer again. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Forgive us, your will be done. And the parable comes just after quite a long explanation before the decision with it um, about Jesus' return, and it's sandwiched between that and <laughs> the passage we did have read this morning about the little children warning us um, and challenging us about who gets into the kingdom. Is it children like us, or is it rich people like us? So back to the parable, um, the scene, the temple done all that. The cast, does the crowd who are watching the witness of the sacrifice and the witness of the people 
there are two men, and they're both speaking honestly, I think, as it happens. Witnesses of them to the sacrifice. So the, the Pharisee, what sort of character is saying? He's upright, he's confident, he's close to the altar, he's in a place to be seen, he's praying aloud, he's looking at the other people, uh, he seems to fit the bill of those who pride themselves on keeping the law of Moses and going beyond it. He thinks he's righteous, he's thankful, but he's used to it. And he's treating the tax collector with contempt. What sort of chaps tax collector? He's far off, he doesn't want to come close. He's pretty despised. The one is considered the most religious, and the other the tax collector is considered perhaps the least religious. I wonder how some of Jesus' disciples responded to this the parable as they heard it. Levi Matthew, a tax collector. Simon's of Otis, not a Pharisee, but nevertheless, we think, a man of, of high principle and wanting to change the world. And perhaps intolerant to others who might not take his view. And who are these men? Who are they trusting? How are they treating others? Is the Pharisee living as God really desires? Might the tax collector consider a change of occupation? What about their prayers? The Pharisee's prayer reveals himself in NIV, he prays about himself. I thank you that I'm not like other men. Extortioners, I'm just being the adulterers, or even this tax collector. Self satisfied, he's self righteous, he's self centered, he's self loving, he's self reliant, he's self exculpatory, and all that stuff were to say that they excuse themselves, but that doesn't satisfy Jesus. Tax collector, he's not satisfied with himself, he's repentant, he's a sinner and he knows it. And he's seeking mercy. The tax collector says, I fast twice a week and I give a time of everything. The Lord says, fast once a week on the Sabbath. And once a year, on the Day of Atonement, there are other fasts for particular purposes, but that's the general principle. That's Leviticus 23. So his fasting twice a week is useless fasting. It's not necessary. It's not what God has commanded. It's not effective. He seems to rely on it and makes it an important part of his life. I give tithes of all I give. Deuteronomy 12 says you should tithe corn, oil, and wine. Jesus says, Woe to you Pharisees, you tithe mint and woo and every herb, and neglect justice and the love of God. The Pharisee, I think, is expecting approval, perhaps from the crowd, perhaps from God or both. I think the tax collector expects disapproval from the crowd and hopes for approval from God. The Pharisee lifts up his voice. I think he's lost sight of the sacrifice in all this. It's familiar. It's easy. 
the tax collector seems to speak quietly. They pray aloud out of practice of the day. But the tax collector's prayer is not drawing attention to himself. He knows his need. Which of them is more right? Jesus tells us which. Pharisee stands for self-trust. Sacrifice is happening twice a day. Right there in the temple. And he trusts himself instead of trusting the sacrifice. We know that there's only one sacrifice, and that's the Lord's sacrifice, fulfilling all these twice a day sacrifices. But at the time, they were doing it out of obedience and faith. Jesus says the tax collector is justified rather than the Pharisee. Pharisee is saying thank you. Thank you is terrific, isn't it? It's good. We must give thanks to God. And we also ask for mercy. They're both honest men, neither are good men, I don't think. They're both witnesses to the sacrifice. And that sacrifice is available to both of them. But there are two questions, aren't there? Because which of them is right with God as a result of the sacrifice, and which of them is living in the way that God wants them to live? Very strong. Paul, a former Pharisee, he's, he's pretty clear by the time he writes to the Ephesians. By grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Jesus doesn't leave it just like that. His, his sort of summary at the end of the parable isn't really a summary of the parable, it's a punchline, I think. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Humble. What's humble? Is that your eye heat looks so humble? Is it, is it just being sort of weak and feeble and waiting for someone to say, come on, come sit up higher, you sit above the sword? The person in the Bible described, apart from Jesus, as most humble is Moses, who's also described as very great and given the great title of a servant of the Lord. He went up to God, he judges, he was the means by which the law was given, he challenged the people, he was a prophet, he challenged Pharaoh, he wrote five books, he was strong, he was faithful, he was a saviour, a prophet, a mediator. And he was regarded as the most humble, the most meek. And Jesus is greater than that. Hebrews 3 makes it clear that he's greater than Moses, greater than Abraham, greater than the temple, greater than Melchizedek, greater than everything. And he described himself as meek. Beginning of Luke, God has put down the mighty from their seats, thrones, has exalted the humble and meek. Peter, who heard the parable, presumably, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Do we do that in our working, our sharing, our preaching, our talking, our worship, our work, our spending, our buying, our time, our sport, our attitudes to everybody else, we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God? And to take what again, pride, boasting, wrecks our witness. I'm
fell down and broke again, fell down again. I wasn't cross the first time, I was very cross the second <laughs> And like any husband, I was so cross, I took it up and my wife was all out for It was pride, I'm, I'm not very good at DI. It has fallen down many other times, but not for me. And when is this exalting, let us humble ourselves and the right hand of God, and he will exalt us in due time. When's that going to happen? I don't know. I don't know whether that's at the end of the age, which Jesus has just been talking about in chapter 17, or whether it's day by day. But if you think about Nebuchadnezzar, his humiliation in Daniel 4, his prayer before that, his I, 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 and then it's all taken away, he's driven out, and he's grass and sleeps outside, and he's ruins the chap you might see almost sleeping in a doorway in Bartholomew Friday night. But God exalts him again. God exalts him again after that. And his life has changed and he honours and gives the credit to God. I was badly caught out in Cambridge. We do have that prayer, our Father, and hallowed be thy name. God's love and God's holiness and his glory. I was a bit too ready, maybe some of us are a bit too ready, to feel just a shade too comfy. I'm not true, I hope we all got. It's easy to say that, isn't it? But this is the challenge, I think. Jesus is about to speak to the disciples of our children. He's about to talk about the disciples looking down on children. And the way the Pharisee perhaps looked down on the tax collector. And he's going to talk about rich, a young ruler who looked up to his money. And that was a problem for both of them. But I want to say this and ask really. Are we doing what God has told us to do? Are we also doing what God has told us not to do? Are we also doing what God has not told us to do? Three things. Fairly easy sometimes to know that we're not supposed to do something. Not so easy to know what God is telling us to do. And sometimes quite difficult to know when to stop doing something that you might have been told to do. Are we, are we thinking about that? And then last point, this is a Pharisee, it's natural to think about other Pharisees. This is the house of Simon the Pharisee, where Jesus was anointed by the sinful woman in Luke 9. And Simon, Jesus tells the story of Simon of the chapter who forgives two people their debts. 500 denarii each one, two, 20 months wages, 50 denarii each another, two months wages. And he asks Simon which will love, which of those two debtors will love their benefactor more. And Simon says, well, presumably you might have had the bigger debt cancelled. And Jesus says, yes, you ask it rightly. He who is given the law loves it. The woman demonstrated by her conduct that she had, well, the Pharisee knew that she had much to forgive, but she had demonstrated that she loved much. 
so the forgiveness of the tax collector seeks should make us love God for the enormity of the things that we ask him to forgive and which he can forgive through the sacrifice of our Lord. Punchline, Henry Newton, the slaver turned writer of the latent grace, turned preacher, dying, says this, I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great saviour. Amen.